0: So as Brian said, we're in a new series called Such a Time as This. We are mining for hidden treasures from the quarantine cave, if you will. If you haven't heard the previous uh, three sermons from this series, I think they'd be really encouraging for your soul. You should go and check those out at realitymaterial.com sermons. All right, like Brian said, we're in 2 Chronicles 20 today. The title of this sermon is Worship During Wartime. Okay, so 2 Chronicles 20. Uh, Israel is divided into two parts, okay? The southern part is called Judah. It's where Jerusalem is, where the temple is, where like the the bulk of worship is happening. People are following God. And they had kings set up there uh, to rule that kingdom of Judah. King Jehoshaphat is the name of the king in 2 Chronicles 20. He loves the Lord. He seeks the Lord. Uh, God's people are thriving under his leadership. But in 2 Chronicles 20, they find themselves backed up against a wall, maybe like some of us do even today. There was three large armies that had all conspired together to come against God's people, to come against Judah. And it was too big. The armies were too big, too strong, uh, too terrifying. There was absolutely no way they could beat them. It was an unbeatable battle ahead of them, but they were on the brink of war. And so Jehoshaphat is obviously terrified. Um, The nation is terrified. And so he turns his heart to God and he begins to cry out to God. And then he he calls for the entire country, declares, demands everyone to start praying and fasting. The whole country has to pray and fast. And people from every city in Judah come to Jerusalem, to the temple, to seek God with King Jehoshaphat. And while they're there... Joseph he starts crying out to God, and he's like, God, you told our ancestors if we were ever in trouble, if there was ever pestilence, if there was ever war, if there was ever enemies coming against us to come here and to cry out to you, and you would hear us, and you would do something about it, God. So here we are, Lord, do something about it. And right then, as God often does, his spirit falls on a man, just a random dude in the congregation, his name is Jehazael, and he begins prophesying. And he says, Joshua, listen, this is the word of the Lord. Hey, people of Israel, listen, this is the word of the Lord. And that's where we pick it up, Second Chronicles 20, starting in verse 15. He says, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Skip down to verse 17. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Wait, it's starting to get a little strange now, right? Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. So the next day, they they go out to the battlefield, right? And uh, King Jehoshaphat is encouraging the, the, the soldiers, and he's like, we got this, guys, the Lord is with us. And then, uh, under the power and leading of the Holy Spirit, he does something ludicrous. Verse 21, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Shortest song ever. But they are singing it. Over and over and over and over and over again, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, the three that had conspired together, to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah finally arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Then they go on take the next four days, take some four days to gather all the plunder from the enemy. There's so much, the armies were so vast. They return home praising God and then look how uh, this narrative ends here in verse 29. And when all the surrounding kingdoms heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came upon them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. Church, this is the word of God for us today. Would you join me in praying? I'm very thankful for your word, Lord. I'm thankful that um, in a time like this where there are a lot of really loud voices, even inside of our heads, that your word speaks louder, if we will let it. So we ask that you would help us let it. We ask that you would help us let you speak louder today. I submit myself to you, Lord. I want to share my ideas today. I want to share your heart. Help me, Lord, to share your heart. Anoint me now. Anoint my lips. We together, gosh, I love your church, Lord. You love your church. Together with your church, in every home and space, we just open our hearts and say, Lord, we want to hear you. We tune in today. We do this, like, Church thing and follow you, Jesus thing because we want to like we want to follow you. We want to know what you want. We want to partner with that. So we ask you to speak to us today in Jesus' name, Amen. So listen, we could probably uh, we could probably spend like th- three weeks just mining up all the spiritual treasures in this story, but for today's purposes, I just want to look at five things that will hopefully encourage us in this um, season that we all find ourselves in. The first one is very brief. For the people of God, every battle belongs to the Lord. For the people of God, every battle belongs to the Lord. Look at the first thing that God says to his people in verse 15. This sets the stage. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. Why? for the battle is not yours, but God's. He wasn't saying that the battle wasn't real. He wasn't like downplaying it. Um, it, it was a, a real enemy coming for real with real weapons against a, a real people. They were really scared. Their real families were really in danger. But the point is this, for the people of God, even human, physical, practical, real battles belong to the Lord. It's what we see uh, David say to Goliath, right, in uh, 1 Samuel 17, right before he killed him. Uh, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. So he's like, hey, God's gonna, God's gonna destroy you. I'm gonna get to participate by cutting off your head, but God's gonna bring the victory. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. I don't think that the giant Goliath went down because of David's ingenuity or bravery or slingshot skills. According to David's words, the giant went down because of the power of God. Even in physical earthly wars, the battle belongs to the Lord. Number two, for the people of God, our weapons are not carnal. Our weapons are not carnal. Listen to what God says through Jehazael in verse 17. You will not need to fight. It's a battle. He says, you will not need to fight. Stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Listen, they're up against a massive army, like a real massive army, and God's instructions to them are, don't fight, stand still, and watch. Now look at what Josaphat says to his soldiers in verse 20. <laughs> Here's like the, oh, we're about to go to war, right? This is like the, uh, what's that movie called? 3000 or whatever it's called. And, uh Three. 300, (laughs) 300, and like the Braveheart moment, right? Like we're about to go to war. Here's here's what Joshua says to the soldiers. Believe in the Lord. Wait, what? Like, that's cool. Like if you're at church, that's cool. But like you're about to go to war. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Not sharpen your weapons, not here we go, like strengthen your hearts, strengthen your arms, right? He's like, believe in the Lord. And then look at what he does in verse 21. We already read it, but then the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Either this dude is ludicrous or he's onto something that we don't know about. Because I'm a musician. There ain't nothing right about any of this. Right, This is not what you do. There's nothing humanly wise or logical about any of this. But here's a salient point. God is not after human logic or wisdom. See, the carnal mind says, no, nah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't watch and wait. I do something. I, I, I put a sword in my hand and fight. I don't just trust in God. I trust in my plans. I trust in uh, my mind. I trust in my experience. I trust in the the people around me and the advice that they're giving to me that I trust. The carnal mind says, I'm not just going to worship God in the middle of a war. That's what worldly wisdom says, right? But listen, guys, we are not carnal kids of the world who fight with worldly weapons. We are kingdom kids of God who fight with spiritual weapons, 2 Corinthians 10, Paul is writing to the church, and, uh, and he's like, uh, listen, there's, 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 there's lies coming. Um, there's people deceiving. There's all this very practical stuff that, that could have been um, fought with very practical means, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, like, here's some practical things. Instead, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning they're not of this world, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Spiritually alive people do battle with spiritual weapons. From a Roman prison, under evil Roman authorities, okay? Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, verse 12, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Like what? Hold on. He's in prison with soldiers outside, like the evil Roman government. And he says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Wait, hold on. Paul is living in uh, a politically, socially... uh, just like chaotic, toxic culture, overly corrupt society that would honestly make America look like Christian summer camp. If there was ever a war against flesh and blood, against people, Paul was right in the middle of it. It would have been so easy for him to say, here's the practical instruction as to how to stand up against the people and policies that are coming against us and the church, because that's what was happening. But Paul doesn't even mention how to beat the people that were coming against them. Instead, he exposes the source of the true enemy when he says, this battle is actually driven by demonic forces of wickedness. Therefore, if you fight on a human level, you'll get human and temporal results. But if you fight fight with spiritual weapons, you will get eternal results. What he's saying is, listen, I know it looks, it would be very easy to see uh, that the problem Looks like it's people, but it's actually a spiritual thing. And spiritual battles must be fought with spiritual weapons, which is why he says in the very next breath in Ephesians 6, so therefore put on the armor of God. Put on the spiritual armor. It's not take up a shield of steel. It's take up the shield of faith, right? It's not take out a a sword, a physical one. It's take out the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He's like, you don't need to plan. You need to pray, is what he goes on to say there in Ephesians 6. You know, there's, a, there's this thing going on across California right now where um, there's a lot of pastors and churches who are wanting to come against um, the state's stay-at-home order. And I'm friends with some of them, you know, and I've heard, I've heard this, like, dude, we just, we need to, like, stand up uh, and put pressure on the government. Um, they're overreaching. We're Americans, man. They are overreaching. Um, they're overstepping. They're not telling us the truth. It's obvious that they're, not, they're lying to us. Okay. And since when did the government ever have this glowing reputation of telling the truth? And since when did bad or good politics ever determine the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change people's lives. Because that's the point, right? Isn't the gospel of Jesus changing people's lives the entire point? And as a church, isn't that like what church is about? Isn't that why the church is a thing? Isn't that why church exists? Church doesn't exist so we can gather in a building, right? That's not why God put the church together. Church exists in order to be an extension of the life-generating power of Jesus. I I think that we need to stop petitioning politicians so much and start praying to the king of kings who actually has some authority to do something and change something that actually matters, that will actually have eternal results. Listen, the heart of the king is not in uh, smart, opinionated, even uh, well-meaning people. Christian or not, there's all these kings, right? That's what we'll call them. There's all these kings in authority. The heart of the king is not in the hands of well-meaning, opinionated people. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, Proverbs 21 says. And he, however, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. The Lord has the heart of kings and authorities and governors and presidents and politicians in his hands. And he, like the river of water, turns it wherever he wishes wishes. We're up against the army. The people of God were like, glory we up against the army. They're coming against us. They want to take this land that you gave, gave us. We need a weapon to fight against them. And they did. They did need a weapon. But it wasn't a weapon like they thought because our weapons are not carnal. The people of God do not wage war with the weapons of this world. The people of God wage war with weapons like worship. Which is our third point from our passage. Worship is a weapon. Verse 21 again. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Amon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Can you imagine? Like so we're musicians in here. Can you imagine being a musician that day? You ain't never been on a front eyes before. you like stay at home. And you play your instrument. And then when everybody comes home victorious, you're like, "Ooh, you celebrate. You're like, oh, I hope they're all right. You ain't never picked up a sword. You got a sitar maybe, but not a sword, right? You got a harp, but you don't have a sword. And then the king calls you to the front lines to worship. And listen, when the king calls you to the front lines to worship, then suddenly your music and your melodies become the ammunition. Your music becomes the battle cry of victory. Your songs suddenly become your sword. Your, your praise suddenly has life-changing power. And worship becomes the weapon. What's fascinating is that this wasn't a spiritual battle. And yet God called them to a spiritual practice of waiting, verse 17, watching, verse 17, and worshiping. Who waits, watches, or worships in the middle of a freaking war? The people of God do. That's who does that. The people of God seems obvious to us to do things like worship when we're in the middle of a spiritual battle, right? You see some person demonized and they're manifesting. You're like, dude, I better worship, right? Like, what else are you going to do? But what's crazy here is that the spiritual act of worship actually became a weapon against the worldly war, not just the spiritual one. I can't count the number of times. Sometimes I miss it, man, because I don't even realize. I'm like, this is obviously not a spiritual battle, and so I forget to use spiritual weapons. But when I'm aware of it... I can't count the amount of times that the battles in my life have been won through the simple act of worshiping God. And this isn't like the heart kind of worship. This isn't like the, I'm gonna worship God with my life, or just like, I'm gonna take a posture of praise. All that stuff's like awesome. But this is talking about musical praise. Right, it's the word uh, in Hebrew, halal, right? We're talking about the physical, visceral act of audibly using your mouth and your vocal cords and your diaphragm to push air out and use words and melodies to sing audible stuff to God in praise and worship. That's what's talking about here. They sang, and then the Lord confused the enemy and sent forth an ambush. Church, atmospheres change when God's people sing. Atmospheres change when God's people sing. There are battles in this life, more than we think, that cannot, will not be won until we use our audible voices to worship God through song. Now, it's not the only spiritual weapon, as we see in places like Ephesians 6, but it is a weapon. Will it require some faith? Dang right, it's going to require a lot. Of faith Because it's not practical, right? Again, if you're one of the musicians that day and you're like, whoo, going out to battle, all right, it's going to be crazy. And then he's like, hey, you, <laughs> whatever your name is, I was thinking of some Hebrew name. I didn't have one. Hey, you, come here. And you're like, yo, me? What? What do you do? Like, why am I here? It required faith for them to step out like this. And I wonder if, friends, if in your life, instead of fighting through the war, whatever it may be, if maybe God is calling you to worship through it instead. Because we're pretty good at worshiping after the battle's over, if we come out victorious anyways. But God wants to see us grow in the practice of worshiping in the middle of it, before we know if we're victorious or not. Before we know how it's going to pan out, I should say. Because worship shouldn't just be a response to breakthrough. It should be a procession for it. Which is point number four. Worship should precede breakthrough. Check this out. Verse 21. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Hold on. This is before... God did anything. God has not done anything and they're beginning to worship Him. What are they even praising God for if He's done nothing? Here's why they're praising Him. Because God's worthiness to be worshipped is not contingent on the outcome of our circumstances. God's worthiness is contingent on His character. Let me say it again. God's worthiness to be worshipped is not contingent on the outcome of our circumstances. Because those change. God's worthiness is contingent on his character. It's in the passage, verse 21. They were singing to him for his holy splendor. Why were they singing to him? For his holy splendor. Their praise was hinging on who God was, not on what he may or may not do. It's in the song lyrics that they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For his faithful love. Character. His character. His faithful love endures forever. It wasn't give thanks to the Lord because he's, he's going to change my situation. It wasn't uh, I'll give thanks to the Lord when he changes my situation. It was I'm going to praise him in spite of my situation. I'm going to praise him because in the midst of my situation that is ever changing, he has never changed. He remains the same. His faithful love endures forever. Listen, guys, peace will not endure forever. Rest will not endure forever. Financial stability, happiness, physical well-being, the prolonged season with no deadly viruses will not last forever. The absence of pandemics and pandemonium will not endure forever. There are zero guarantees in this life. We are living in it right now. The only thing that endures forever is the steadfast, eternal character of God. Distrust and pride say, now I'm going to praise you when you bless me. Right? But faith and humility say, now I'm going to praise you even if you don't. Because you are not changing, you are still good. Faith says, I'm going to worship you before the breakthrough. Not because I already got it and not because I'm positive that it will actually come, but just because you deserve it, Lord, either way. That's what faith says because, man, I love worshiping God after I'm blessed, right? I like it, and I do it. But God's people didn't wait for the blessing to come. They worshiped before it came, because that's what people of faith do. They didn't wait for there to be peace. They didn't wait till they were back home with their families, which they wanted to be. Listen, sorry, but they didn't wait until they were back at their worship center That was where they worshiped too, man. I I hate, I hate not, this is, I don't wanna be a newscast person, right? I don't wanna, I wanna be with you. But the point is they didn't wait to get back to the temple before they started worshiping God. They worshiped him before they even knew what was gonna happen because worship should precede breakthrough. But worship also brings breakthrough. Last point, worship brings breakthrough. Verse 22, at the very moment they began to sing and praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Uh Uh-oh, the breakthrough's coming. Down to verse 24. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. That's the breakthrough. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. breakthrough. You remember that story of uh, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16? They get arrested for preaching the gospel, and they're in prison. It says at midnight, they were praying and singing out loud, worshiping God. And as soon as they started to sing, a great earthquake came. And what happened as a result? Two things. Number one, all the shackles from the prisoners were broken off, and the jailer was saved, and in turn, his entire family. Listen to me. When Paul and Silas worshipped through song, captives were set free and people were saved. When God's people worship, shackles break free and salvation shows up. Worship brings breakthrough. When the people of God were confronted with an evil enemy, with fear, with certain death. It was certain death. Like some of us are like, I don't want to die COVID-19. They were about to die, all of them. When they were confronted with certain death, they stepped out in faith and worshiped. And when the enemy was confronted with their worship, he became confused and was crushed by the power of God. Sometimes I wonder, I'm just gonna be honest, my own life too, man, I wonder how how much more would be accomplished Even in the physical realm, if we spent more time worshiping and less time doing other things. I'm not saying that we should never engage in human battles with human means, but I am saying that it would do us some good to stop uh, talking so much and start worshiping a little bit more. I think that some of us, even in this season, need to turn off social media and TV media and turn on some worship music. Cuz you want to see change, right? Like I want to see change in this world. I want to be a part of that change. Like that's why if you're passionate, some of you guys aren't, aren't passionate, but if you're passionate about anything that's happening right now, it's cuz you want something to change. You want something to change. But but listen, when we get to the heart of it, isn't this the kind of change that we want to see? Like don't we want to see like deep, lasting change cuz I personally, I don't want to see people released from the shackles of quarantine if they are still enslaved to sin. I'm like, who cares? Right? We don't don't want to just see businesses open to the public in order to save the economy. Right? Like what we want to see is hearts open to Jesus in order for God to save humanity. Like, isn't that what we like care about on a deep level if we really got down to our hearts, church? Because who cares if people inherit the whole world, eternal security, uh, economic, economic security and physical well-being, but lose their souls? It doesn't matter. It's pointless. It's, it's for naught. It doesn't matter if the fear of COVID-19 is removed or debunked or whatever. If people are still living in fear of dying because they have no eternal security, COVID going away does not give people hope and security. Jesus Christ gives people hope and security. As much as I hate to worship without you guys in person, who cares if we are all together again, if all we do is isolate ourselves together from the hundreds of thousands of people in Ventura County who desperately need Jesus. A stable economy and a balanced budget is not the answer. A new job, uh, people being, being free to exercise their constitutional rights, politicians writing good policy, these things are not the answer. People finding hope in Jesus Christ is the answer. It's always been the answer, it always will be the answer. And right now, friends, it is the answer. God does care deeply about the minutiae of our lives, but we have a very small and quite frankly, unbiblical view of God and his kingdom if we think that that is what he is most concerned about. What God is most concerned about is not our economy or our national freedoms or us being able to gather as the church in a building or even eradicating COVID-19. What God is most concerned about is people's eternal salvation. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. And more than anything, that's what he wants. That is, our, that is his dream for our, our community. That is his dream for the world right now. He wants the people to come to the saving, life-restoring, hope-generating knowledge of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but like, that's the breakthrough I want to see. That's the breakthrough that I want to see. But if we're going to be a part of winning that battle, then we're going to have to stop complaining so much and start worshiping a lot more. That battle is one with spiritual weapons, and one of those weapons is worship. So if it was good enough for 2 Chronicles 20 people, and it was good enough for Paul and Silas under uh, evil Roman occupation in prison, then it should be good enough for us today. You want to see captives set free, not just from uh, the battle of physical isolation, but from the war of spiritual slavery, I think there's a good chance that that, that war is won through us worshiping. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, um, I know just for me, it's been a, it was a convicting word this week for me. By the way, this was already in the schedule to be taught this week, but it just seems like stuff was getting heightened. Is God's sovereignty that we taught this passage. I know for me, it was God's sovereignty that we taught this passage. And so I'm imagining people at home just like, gosh, man, that's a, maybe for some of us a hard word, good word. Thank you for turning our eyes towards you. Um, We want to say that the battle doesn't belong to us. It belongs to you. So We turn our eyes to you right now and we just do what the people did. We we lift you up, Lord. We say you're on the throne and so in our hearts we enthrone you. And we wanna wanna worship you. We wanna say, God, the victory is yours so I don't have to like trip about it. The victory is yours. There's a lot of rest in that. Lord, we ask that you would help us um, to not just be good American citizens but good citizens of heaven, that we wouldn't just act like Americans, we'd act like uh, heavenly-minded kingdom people. Help us, God. Help us, Reality Ventura, to be like a voice of like um, peace and stability and pointing people to Jesus in this season. Gosh, Lord, I want to do that. Help me. Help us to help turn people's eyes to the the one who supersedes. Politics and policy, and truth and lies, and viruses and health and the economy. Help us to be people who turn our eye, turn other people's eyes towards you, Jesus.